0: This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. I love my job. I really love what I do, but there's a real shame surrounding it. We're essentially in my opinion in the same situation that we were ten years ago. But you still go onto a building site, you still walk into a pub and you'll say what you do for a living and people don't want to engage with you. And there's all this furore, there's all this uproar and everyone's like it's bloody health and safety. No one's been involved from a safety perspective in that decision. We're still getting the blame for things, we still become that scapegoat for like uncomfortable decisions. I'm having to spend more time sat in the office logging near misses all day long when I should be out on site dealing with the real problems. That's the main thing I would love to see the back of, is incentivising safety for the wrong reasons. And they're too scared to even comment publicly on LinkedIn because the fear of their, what their peers would think. And it's like, yeah. how are we ever going to make an impact? How are we ever going to make change? if we're still stuck in this mindset. When I think about what has made me successful, it's not been my ability to know legislation off the top of my head. The fact that I can identify every single hazard It's actually the fact that I can go out there and I can have a conversation with people and I'm pretty confident. We've got a lot of elements in the safety world that I think have just been accepted and become embedded in the sort of culture of being a safety professional and we don't challenge them. It's just Groundhog Day again and again and again. So I'm learning from the workforce just as much as they're learning things from me and i think none of that skill comes from my technical knowledge and things the safe tribe there's the inspiration behind that where we can catch people very early on in their careers and give them that confidence and that sort of insights that you know the lessons we've had along the way just really given those core skills that i think are absolutely essential to really making a positive change with health and safety. If you spend your entire life waiting for everything to be perfect, you're never going to do anything. Honestly, Gosh. when I tell you that was the kick up the backside I needed to the point where that night, I remember being up all night, like, how am I going to make this happen?
1: Right, well, mate. Welcome to the Safety. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on.
0: Thank you for thank How you are for you? having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm good, very good. I'm busy, but that's what I like to be doing, so I'm, I can't complain. Mm. So yeah, no, been a been a good. busy couple of months.
1: Yeah, because you're doing both, like consulting or or like freelance work and doing Safe Tribe as well, aren't you? So you must be rammed.
0: Yeah. So I've. Um, I do predominantly, so I went self-employed at the start of the year, and I've mainly been doing contract work, which has really suited me. Um, And then I do, like, bits for other uh, clients, sort of from the consultancy perspective around that. Um, And, yeah, it's just that sort of, like, guaranteed work every week, every month. And then it gives me the flexibility to do things around that that I'm quite passionate about. So, yeah, it's been a busy – I've been trying to claw back a little bit. I don't know if you've found the same with your work, but construction really dried up um, over the summer. And I think that's because a lot of people go back home for the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people were reluctant. I work on a lot of, like, house-building sites, so a lot of people were quite reluctant to uh, buy houses. So I think they scaled back people on site. So I'm now clawing back um, the quieter days. Um, from August and September um, to this month and even December, just I think I've got maybe two, three days, which is great. So right. yeah, it's been good.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so hard to um to get a gauge of like what what's actually going on in like the economy because like I remember I don't know it must have been around summertime actually like we'd have. Like the news started being like, oh, everything's shit, which kind of pretty much all the news says really, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then I always, so my mate's a house builder. So he works on like big house building sites and I always just kind of use him as my barometer. Like I always find that once house building slows down, that's like a such a big part of the British kind of economy in a way that everything else kind of feeds construction. Um, so if they slow, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I just start to see other things slow. Um, so I always kind of yeah. use him as a barometer. And back, like, it must have been summertime, he was like, we're hearing that some sites are slow, but ours are quite good. So I was like, oh, okay, then cool. And then I was talking to him literally like a week or two ago and he was like it's gone really slow now like loads of gangs are getting laid off and that um mm-hmm. so I was a bit like oh, a bit worried about that but then I'll go and talk to other customers and and they're just absolutely rams and like another businesses that we network with and stuff and they're all just like so busy and I, I just can't get I yeah. can't get head the tail of what's actually going on.
0: Yeah I must admit so I I put all my eggs in one basket um I got First year of being self-employed, um, you know, got secured very good contracts, and I probably got my feet—I got a little bit too comfortable with it, um, and then I didn't really do much else around that. And then a couple of things changed, and I was left thinking, "Is it going okay to swear on here?" By the way, because I do swear naturally, so just
1: yeah, oh you, yeah. yeah, more swear in the better.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So I was like, "Shit!" Like, what am I going to do? I haven't, I haven't got um. You know a backup plant basically um and then yeah. i was like that's fine i'll really push out to my construction clients and then they're like oh we've got nothing going on and i was like oh god what am i going to do um so i've actually branched out to a new contract in the manufacturing industry um and it's like nutraceuticals so they do like gummies health products stuff like that and i have never seen a business grow the way this business is growing and it's a really exciting time to be working with them to be fair so i actually i've got a contract three days a week with them which is now very good um and we signed them for quite a while um but basically they've uh, they can't keep up with their growth um they're kent's fastest growing business and they've literally i think i started doing work with them in september And they had about 80 staff. Um, They'd started January this year with 20, and they're now on 150. Um, And it's just rapid. And their orders, you know, they're shipping worldwide. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's different industries, and it's been – it's been quite nice to sort of move away from the construction side of things a little bit because I've probably been a little bit too dependent on it. Uh, it's what, what I know, um, but actually, you know, I'm learning a lot of the manufacturing side of things, um, but it's also nice to see a thriving industry, a thriving business. Um, so it's putting my mind at ease a little bit more that, you know, things aren't gonna dry up anytime soon.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah it's, it, it's so hard, isn't it, to gauge Gage, what's going on? But that sounds like um, that sounds like a nice little gig, mate. Well done, well done.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's good.
1: Anyone that kind of knows you on LinkedIn uh, will probably know we didn't get you on to talk about um, kind of just normal safety work. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about kind of Safe Tribe and what was going on there. So. Um, I suppose in case people don't really know what it is, because I want to talk about the story of it and the journey of it and where you are, what's going on now and the future of it you just want to introduce it first, um, kind of cool. as to what it is and, and so that people just kind of understand what we're talking about before we go and tell the story of it. And then people are like, yeah. what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah,
0: I'll give you my elevator pitch I've been working on. Yeah, that's, yeah um, perfect. I've been told to be a bit more concise about these sorts of things. So, yeah, the Safe Tribe is essentially what I like to call one-stop shop. Um, so it's an app. That you can download onto your phone and it's designed to sort of really build a proper sense of community uh, for health and safety professionals um, it's quite a lonely lonely place to be sometimes especially if you're out on your own so it's kind of like a community in your pocket so We've got community forums that you can go on to. Um, and then we really focus on upskilling. Um, we've got quite a lot of new people to the safety industry that have joined. So what we're looking to okay. do is upskill them. So each month we bring um, professionals in in the core, what we call the core skills industry. So those yeah. real influence and skills that are essential in safety to come on and do tailored workshops with the community. We partner with organisations that sort of align with our goals for the community um and yeah we're just we're just building slowly but surely a strong sort of community feel with like-minded people that want to really push the boundaries of what they're doing in safety you know um challenge the status quo so to speak and they've got a safe space to do that
1: yeah yeah nice there's so much. Um, I know we we spoke before. I like what we tried to do with um, Project Believe and what what led into the Health and Safety Network, and we kind of wound that down now. is um, he, very much exactly the same as what you're doing or on, and trying to do. Yes. Um, with've we've said tribe and and i I found it so interesting like when you first i first saw you kind of come up with that post and I was just like oh hello uh and it was interesting and I wanted to kind of keep an eye on it and um and then we had a good chat and there are some challenges which I know we've both experienced very similar similar challenges which maybe mm-hmm. we'll get into but um i I do feel I suppose you're preaching to the, the converted in this podcast because I, I think I think yeah. what you're doing um that is definitely needed um but talk to me about like like why why do it like why if i was to kind of maybe just think of some things that i'll be like well community in your pocket or i've got that on linkedin um or a community of of safety professionals so well, i can get that on our professional membership um you know the, the what it, what is it that you felt like maybe you were missing or the profession was missing or what like what is that it's a bit of a cliche now but that kind of simon cynic why like what why did you kind of go no this is this is something we need
0: I think for me, I I casted my memory back to my early days working in health and safety. Um, my first role was as a safety manager. Um, we kind of took on probably within my first year of my role, a quite a large facilities management contract, and I was suddenly left in charge of a hundred sites, God knows how many engineers working in really high risk mental health wards, doing um, construction work, and. I was really lonely um, and you know there were platforms like LinkedIn. there was membership bodies that I was a member of. but I think sometimes you get, your voice gets quite diluted in those sorts of environments. Um, there was also a little bit of fear. Um, so for example on LinkedIn, I had my peers, I had my colleagues and you know perhaps there was something going on that I wanted to talk about so maybe I was dealing with a problematic board member. I didn't want that on linkedin to go you know how do i deal with this person that's making my life really difficult and how do i influence them how do i you know get them on board because i I just didn't feel comfortable posting about those sorts of things on the more traditional platforms um so it's sort of designed to create that more safe secure environment amongst like-minded people and then yeah like you say there's a lot of content out there that you know you can get from all over the place but i what i really wanted this to do or what i want this to become is a really member-led community and we're already seeing that with the members that we've got in the sense of yeah again right. larger membership bodies there's a lot of merit to it there's you know a lot of benefits to that but i think you become lost in this sea of you know hundreds of thousands of people your voice doesn't always get as heard um, whereas with the Safe Tribe, the idea behind it is, you know, we're a smaller community, you know, I'm in direct contact with everyone, I know all the members um, and, you know, hopefully as we grow, we'll have sort of community mem- managers as well, but it's gonna be a very personal touch that the members drive what we're putting out there for them. So as much as there's a lot of things we envision and we're gonna be putting forward for the next the next year already, we've got um, a lot of content planned for it, but actually, we listen to what the members want and we try and deliver that um, because that's fundamentally it's their membership. It's their it's their community um, and everyone can support each other. So, yeah, the idea of it was all just to be in one place, you know, rather than having to sort of jump around. Um, I'm I'm quite a person of convenience. You know, I like to be able to go on to something and just have it all in one place. Um, I hate searching around for things and, you know, jumping from platform to platform. So, yeah, the idea is just to kind of centralize all those elements that are scattered around in a secure place.
1: What, what when was that kind of the moment? Was it was it gradual, Amy? Was it like the, the vision and what it, but also not just the vision of like, I, I can see the problem but like building the solution was that gradual or were you like now this is exactly what i need or did you get inspiration from somewhere else or like i'd be dead interested was there like a sitting on the sofa and coming, like me i've got it or or was it yeah. just a real slow burn
0: it's been a slow burner it's um so something about me um is i sit on things for quite a long time um mm. I consider myself quite an impulsive person um, in a lot of aspects of things. Um, but there's also things that I do that I like to sort of get right. Um and the concept behind a sort of a platform, an all-in-one place, has been on the back of my mind for probably two years. Um, I've been thinking really? about it for a long time, never really sort of explored it. And then it wasn't until I went out on my own last year, which was a decision I wanted to do for a long time, but I've been sitting on that for a long time as well. Um, and I just I just think I got a pair of bollocks, to be honest, and was like, <laughs> if I sit and procrastinate on this. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. And then someone else is going to you know, jump in there and I'm going to be kicking myself for not just having the confidence because I have a bit of a fear of failure. And that's a personal thing that I'm working through. So I then spent, I had, I had a couple of really good contracts this year um, that came to an end. I had quite a bit of spare time on my hands. Um, and so I was at a crossroads of do I just carry on plugging my consultancy work? But it was, I'll tell you what it was, i tell you what was the real sort of, actually, no, I am going to, I am going to fucking do this was I was out on site, I was out on building sites and I was talking to the guys that, you know, I work with, I do consultancy work with and I really strive to be more than just a tick box safety consultant. You know, if I find that I've done work with someone and they just see me as a tick box, I won't work with them. You know, I, I, I don't yeah. care about the day that much. That I'm gonna yeah. sort of sell myself short because I can't cope with going to the same place again and again and again and it's just the same issues coming up again and again and again so
1: yeah.
0: anyway I was talking to the guys and I was like making a really good um, impact with what we were doing and really seeing the culture change within the company this particular uh, contractor that I do a lot of work with still now but the problem was was the, they were just the contractor on site, but the actual safety teams that they deal with on a day to day basis that are from the uh, principal contractor very much set in that sort of old school mindset. And I thought, I'm never gonna make an, a true impact in safety and with the people that we're trying to really get on board and really trying to help because that's what we're up against. There's this, And i'm not slating you know safety professionals whatsoever i think it's a problem that's you know very complex and very deep-rooted but actually we've got a lot of elements in the safety world that i think have just been accepted and become embedded in the sort of culture of being a safety professional and we don't challenge them and then it's just it's just groundhog day again and again and again and you know i've got guys working on sites that literally have to jump through these ridiculous hoops and these ridiculous tick box exercises, essentially, and they fucking hate health and safety professionals. They just, they, we're like, we it's like oil and water. We can't mix. It's just weird. There's just no cohesion um, between us. And I just thought, I need to get to the root of this problem. Um, and I'm not professing that I'm going to solve that issue overnight, but I think, you know, if we start making that effort, you know, slowly but surely, and I really wanted to start influencing and just sort of giving safety professionals, that I think a lot of people the same way we do, but don't have the confidence. I think we're lucky, James, because we're self-employed. And I think we're probably in a best in the best position to challenge and question these things because I'm not worried about losing my job. But I've had a lot of people reach out to me privately and sort of when I've put, you know, a not even a controversial, but like a thought-provoking, you know, questioning statement about something we do in safety, um, even as far as something as silly as, you know, how we write risk assessments, and they're too scared to even comment publicly on LinkedIn because the fear of their, what their peers will think. And it's like, how yeah. are we ever going to make an impact? How are we ever going to make change if we're still stuck in this mindset? So I'm really going on about this in a very long-winded way. Um, but I'm really... glad well,
1: I like passionate it. You can it. Go. I,
0: I just think that actually the Safe Tribe, there's the inspiration behind that where we can catch people very early on in their careers, and give them that confidence and that sort of insights that you know the lessons we've had along the way, where you know we've we've been caught out and we've had those difficult conversations with other safety professionals, and just really given those core skills that I think are absolutely essential to really making a positive change with health and safety. You know, I'm I I love my job. I really love what I do, but there's a real shame surrounding it i wrote an article about this recently you know like go down the pub a bit more than i care to admit and when i meet new people they go what do you do and i'm like oh um i work in health and safety and all of a sudden it's like you've been having this brilliant chat and you get Mm. on and you've got this good banter going on with someone and then all of a sudden you tell them what you're doing and they're like oh fuck that she's a narc i don't want to deal with her because we've given Mm. that impression across our industry like We are those clipboard Collins that everyone goes on about that, you know, no disrespect to any Collins out there. I'm sure you're all fab, but it's just, it's really sad that we're in this sort of state and I don't know how we get out of it. And I think it starts with Mm. how we, how we upskill our safety, safety professionals and get them early on.
1: Mm. Uh, I know a Colin and he's, he's not a clipboard Colin. So so yeah, like I think
0: again,
1: I know yeah, the Colin yeah. you're talking about. That's yeah, why
0: yeah. I,
1: I put that caveat in. I think he messaged me earlier and I was like, you're a good Colin. <laughs> but the other Colin's probably terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give him a miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about the name. Something about the name. Um, like, <laughs> no, mate, there's there's so much in what you're so much in what you're saying. It's it's, it's so funny that I, yeah. I, mean, I can, I don't know. Sometimes I just when when we first spoke about it, I remember just thinking like I was very um I, I, the word I am the word I'm trying to find and I can't think of it. And it's really annoying me. Like reassured or like like some kind of confirmation or affirmation in a way. And like yeah. I wasn't kind of alone. And I I don't I, I think there are a lot of people that think like us. But ultimately, you're you're right in that they don't publicly say it. Um, like when so many times we're doing stuff on rebrand and safety, and we put stuff out, and people will DM me and say, Love that video, that like, was so true. Like, risk assessments are shit, toolbox talks are shit. But the only people that publicly comment are the people who go, No, you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with risk assessments, there's nothing wrong with toolbox torts and stuff. And it's, and it's like, it's, it's interesting because it's like, I need those people to support me publicly because that helps me and it helps the channel and it helps the message that we're all trying to do, right? So like in my yeah. world, rebrand safety, but I don't feel safe to do that, which is interesting. And um, What we what we found in the network previously, uh, PM, was exactly what you, you're trying to achieve with, with Safe Tribe, which I think that you will achieve and probably have already is a, a psychologically safe space for people to just talk and say what they think and be honest and then, you know vent that stuff to someone else who's potentially in the same position and then they bounce it off of each other and then they they fix themselves in a way don't they and that's it's a beautiful and i, and I think it's amazing um but you're so right in that we've still got so far to go and what what do you yeah. what do you think if like someone was listening to that little clip of you saying let's say i clip this up right and i put a little clip of you saying oh you know people still think we're the policeman and the person listening to that they roll their eyes and they think oh god she hasn't got any idea that's so oh that's so yesterday it's not it's not like that anymore like how would you respond to that person i
0: oh god you're really challenging me now james but i <laughs> how would i respond to that i think i did a bit of a deep dive recently um and i looked at some health and safety stats over the years so i compared the hse stats over the last 10 years to sort of see where we were at and i know that's not that's not making it a sort of absolute conclusion um but for me it certainly gave me a bit of an indicator as to where we are were and where we are now and what was quite shocking was a The stats are pretty much the same. Um, You know, the fatalities, I think, was a slightly lower, um, but that's gone up again, hasn't it, Um, since the new stats have been released uh, last week or this week, whenever it was. um, We see an increase in people still suffering from musculoskeletal issues, um, mental health problems, sickness, the amount of riddles that are being reported, all these sorts of things. And it's like... If if we were comparing that in into another industry, for example, you know, we've we've seen over the last sort of 10, 15 years, such a, a like a rapid like increase in the way technology is working and just the things we've got access to medical advances. you know, there's all these things out there that really are just it's it's like a G force. It's going so quickly. It's improving so rapidly. But the safety industry, in my opinion, is stagnating a little bit. Um, so I think when people say we are coming far, I would then throw back to them those stats and say, how can we say that when we've still got the same, we're in the, we're essentially, in my opinion, in the same opinion, situation that we were 10 years ago. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that have come on leaps and bounds, but... The fundamental elements of it are: is that you still go onto a building site, you will still walk into a pub, and you will say what you do for a living, and people don't want to engage with you. And I think there's probably not one person listening to this that's worked works in health and safety that can't say that they've never had that sort of interaction. I I would put a lot of money on it to say that people would definitely be like, yeah, I can absolutely relate. You know, even if you look in the media, it's. I live, I live in Kent, and there was an article probably about six months ago. So there was a Banksy um, in Margate, and it was like – it's quite a cool um, little Banksy. you would probably be able to Google it, and it's like a guy falling into a dumpster. And – the council obviously, obviously saw it as like a bit of a money-making scheme because we've got another Banksy in Folkestone and they have like perspects around it and, you know, to protect it. So this dumpster got moved, basically. And there's all this furore, there's all this uproar, and everyone's like, it's bloody health and safety. Now, no, one, no one's been involved from a safety perspective in that decision. That is the council with their own agenda or their own opinions on that. But... We're still getting the blame for things. We still become that scapegoat for like uncomfortable decisions, and I, I overhear that dialogue quite a lot on sites. So, like, I'll hear managers say, "Oh, mate, can you not do that? Oh, it's because of health and safety," and it's it becomes that negative reason why. Um, so, I think, yeah, I think as much as people might want to argue that, I just I don't see the evidence that supports that we're we're doing we're doing better. I just can't see it. Mm. I don't know what your
1: so, thoughts are I, I on that. I'm kind of... You what, sorry? I
0: said, I don't know what your thoughts
1: are on that. So very much the same. I pretty much verbatim said exactly what you just said. Um probably in about 20 previous podcasts i think the the technology to uh safety stats comparison if it i can't remember if we put it in this guidebook that we've just produced and and started sending out to people or whether we put it in okay. the next one i can't remember um but i've made that same analogy yeah. there's a really good um there's a really really good it? paper on um uh, what was it childbirth really good one on childbirth where it's not good it's horrible but um it's the, the, the phrase in it where they say um the world is the world is better the world is horrible the world is it's something like the world is great the world is horrible the world could be better or something like that and it's like all of these statements are true at the same time so the world is better because childbirth uh child death sorry, not child birth. Child birth is lovely. Child death. (laughs) Child um, death used to be really high. Um, Now it's quite low, but the figures are still quite shocking. And I was like, you could do very much the same with safety. So like before the Home and Safety at Work Act, it was a horrible place to work in, you know, anywhere, but particularly in the UK, then health and safety work out changing, you start to see a dramatic drop in the stats. And you can see that in the health and safety stats. And then it's been broadly flat is the phrase that the HSE uses and has used for about nearly two decades, actually, when you properly look at it, it's, it's quite shocking. But um, if you look at that, they say oh, i remain broad- broadly flat but it's still on average like 130 140 deaths a year at work and that's not including you know um, health that's not including mental health that's not including musculoskeletal it's not including anything like that um, mm. that's just people dying at work and then yeah so so here's so and, and picking out what you what you're talking about there's there's the two things There's the narrative, how people see the safety profession, which I still think very much exists and I completely agree with you. I want to pause that one there and put that in like the car park for a minute and come back to that one. I I want to put you on spot again with the stats one, right? So this is, I'm going to put you on the spot because you said exactly the same as me, and this is a challenge that I got from a good friend of mine, uh, Sam, probably about two years ago. And at the time, I vehemently disagreed with him. I was like, "No, no, that's, that's wrong. I don't want to believe that." Blah blah blah. And now, I, I ponder it quite a lot. So I think about this statement mm-hmm. a lot. So he said, "What if 130 deaths is just the price of the economy?" we're a very successful economy and when you look at how many man hours or people hours are worked in the uk it's probably like multi-billion people hours worked in the uk actually if you statistically compare that to 130 deaths quite good Mm -hmm. so what he's saying is is it just a statistical unavoidable phenomenon in a way that to work that many hours, it's inevitable you'll get that many deaths.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that's definitely something that I've thought about because like you say there's, it's, you know, I don't know, I watch quite a lot of TV shows, things like The Deadliest Catch, you know, and like guys that oh, go yeah, out there yeah, and put yeah. themselves very much in harm's way for the sake of quite a ludic- luc- luc- lucrative, sorry, payday. But and I'm—I've got to be a little bit careful um, how I talk about this because it hasn't just happened. But um, I go to a site um, here in Kent. Um, it's but it's been on the news now. To be fair, but there was a fatality um, two weeks ago, um, and that's sort of the first time I've encountered that uh, on a sort of. A person, not so much on a personal level, but like really being on a site that that's happened. Um, I don't work there regularly, but I do visit there maybe once a month. Um, and seeing the impact that that's made on the guys, the site managers, his wife, his family, you know, people that know him, um, it's a very small local community. A lot of the people that work on that site live in that local area. Um, And then I was out on um, similar sites that are all sort of run by the same company um, last week. And there's just been a shift in how people feel, how people react. And I think it kind of put that human element back into it again for me in the sense of when we look at stats, I do think we have to be quite pragmatic about those sorts of things. But it kind of reaffirmed to me when I saw that human element. Um, and how it's really hurt how how it's really had a ripple effect on you know that one death hasn't just affected that one person that's affected actually a significantly amount of more people you know that guy had two kids and a wife he had a parents he had siblings you know mates and you know we we talk about mental health in construction as well you know suicide problems like that what potential effect that's going to have on the guys that he works with so as much as we say it's 135 people actually that's a lot more people that are affected so you could argue Mm. that that's in my opinion a much higher number um, and we don't really look at the ripple Mm. effect that it tends to have so yeah I, i do agree with that um but i think it's when it hits you personally it's, it's not about just being as is it? it's about, you know, that real human element. And I think that's what I like to, I, I consider myself to be more of a, I, I think with my heart more than my head sometimes. Uh, my right. heart's always where I get my first reaction from. Um, and I do then like to sort of engage my head and think, actually, you know these are the things we've got to think about, we've got to be pragmatic about it, and we've got to see you know the logical side of things, but actually, you know, in those sorts of situations it's I wouldn't be very good at my job if I became too i think analytical with those sorts of things for me personally, anyway, I think my mm-hmm. way well, I think with my heart probably is what makes me good at my job and makes me good at having an impact with people um so yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting point, and I do agree with what Sam's saying. Um I just, yeah, I think I've I've really felt the impact of that fatality two weeks ago. Um, and how many people that's really affected.
1: Mm. I think that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, behind the stats is always a story, isn't there? Definitely. I like that. So so yeah. then we've gone quite heavy into probably those two those two kind of challenges. And essentially, that probably feeds a lot into um, the why. Um, I do want to kind of touch on that narrative piece, though, like, um, probably before we get into the journey of of Safe Tribe, like, when we talk about how people perceive us, essentially, that perception has to come from somewhere, right? So it's, like you said, to try and solve that problem. You've you kind of tried to tackle you're trying to tackle the source of it, e.g. This, the profession. So when you say like the, the safe tribe is kind of all in one place, and we're trying to upskill the profession, what are the what are the skills that you're, you're thinking we're missing then?
0: So for me, um, I, I've done a lot of health and safety courses over the years. I've taught a lot of health and safety courses, so I've got a few NEBOSH sets. I've got the NCRQ diploma. Um, I've taught IOSH courses. I've taught CITB courses. Um, but I think what traditional and they're important courses at the end of the day because they, you know, they fundamentally set the technical basis for us to, you know, go out and do our job, which is absolutely important. But I think they lack core skills Um, and I've sort of noticed that as a common theme throughout a lot of things I've done Um, and that's you know that's no shade to you've got a limited amount of things that you can teach so I think that when I think about what has made me successful in my role and what's had the most impact it's not been my ability to know legislation off the top of my head it's not been the fact that I can Identify every single hazard, you know, involved with demolition. It's actually the fact that I can go out there and I can have a conversation with people, and I'm pretty confident. Um, and I can go out onto a building site and talk to twenty, you know, blokes and get involved, you know, in their banter and taking the piss and just just having a bit of a laugh, getting to know them, asking them questions about their life. Um, all the way up to going into a boardroom full of suited and booted, you know, people that are of a completely different mindset, completely different motivators, and still influence them in a way that's very different to the way I would influence someone that's out on site, for example, um, and everyone else that's in between. Mm. Um, you know, I stand up mm. in front of groups of people, and I have to deliver you know, a talk on something or, you know, just catching up with people or standing up in front of a, a room of directors and presenting them with the stats and then getting grilled on, you know, why is this not this? And, you know, having to sort of yeah. – I, I struggle because there's things, traditional things in safety that I'm not, and this is probably a conversation for another day, but um, and you're probably you know, preaching to the choir here, but, like, I have quite an issue with safety metrics. Um, I've had quite a few – disagreements over the years. Um, But a lot of that stuff is common practice. So when you go into a boardroom of directors and you're saying to them, you know, I don't agree with measuring or having a set target where you've got to report two near misses a day, for example,
1: things like that.
0: You've then then got to go in there and make the business case as to why I can't just say, I don't agree with it. You've got to try and speak Mm. to them in their own language, because they want something Mm. that's a metric to measure success by. So there's all these skills that go into it, that I think are really, really fucking hard. Um, And for a lot of us, you know, some of these things don't come naturally, you know, like, I'm, I'm very good at standing up in front of a room of people and talking and giving off this like air of confidence. But what I'm not very good at sometimes is, you know, listening to people and listening to what people have to say and really understanding what they're trying to say to me and that's a skill that I've really had to work on and you know there's other elements of my confidence that you know there's certain groups of people that I'm very confident talking in front of other groups of people that I'm not so confident talking in front of so there's there's things that we have to develop and I think the success comes from those core skills rather than the technical knowledge because At the end of the day, we live in a society now where if I need to know something or if I need to find something out, I use the Internet. And I'll use the prime example of how that's really benefiting me at the moment is I just I mentioned earlier that I've just started a manufacturing contract with a company. So this is the first time I've done work in manufacturing um, and like a more food safety environment because they do a lot of plant based meat and stuff like that. Yeah. um right. and it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the fact that I've never worked and they even said to me they 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 had other people that they spoke to that actually had more experience in that background than I did but I came across as really personable and you know chatty and confident and when they asked me like how I would approach things and I explained my approach they were like this is what we need and what I've gone in there and done is so we've got like machine operators, you know, these are machines I have got no fucking idea how to operate, but I'm putting the ownership onto the guys I'm giving them that confidence and I'm I'm putting things in place that give them the control. And that's such an important thing. I think as a health and safety person is you're more of a facilitator than anything else. Um, mm. And so I'm learning from the workforce just as much as they're learning things from me. And I think mm. that's none of that skill comes from my technical knowledge on things. Because I'm letting them drive, like when they're writing an SOP, for example, on how to use a machine, I let them dictate that to me. And then I might interject if there's something, you know, I've thought about or need to put in place. But actually, they are the SME in that particular area. And I think we get a little bit blindsided by that in safety, that we have these theories and these principles, which Mm. I do think you need to apply to things. But I think people get a bit too... um, a bit too focused on those and then when you need an out-of-the-box solution and i've had this many years many times in my career when i worked for a principal contractor we have to think about the box solutions you know and i think we we had this discussion last time that we have to swallow our pride a little bit when we work in safety because a lot of the time we we have it's a hard pill to swallow when you realize that you're not always the priority safety as much as people say it is safety is not the priority for a lot of companies uh, profit is production is yeah <laughs> you know and i'm really seeing that now working in a manufacturing environment how important and how much of a driver that is um and so sometimes you have to find solutions that allow those main motivators in a business to still be effective and still be adhered to whilst you know trying to keep people safe and ensure everyone goes home and you know all that good stuff so yeah I think those core skills are the key to that and I just don't think yeah. we get that on traditional courses yeah. so again I'm long-winded way of talking about it I do go off on a tangent so I do apologize but I feel very strongly on right. it um that's good yeah. I, think I
1: think that's is good key. though I think it's good. Um, when we talk about it in our in our framework and the guidebook, and in and we break it down into three, so we we call it like task competence, which I think is what NEBOSH, NCIQ, NVQ, yes. IOSH probably do. They do very well. Is task competency where I think we start to lack of the other two, what we would call risk competency. So being able to interpret the if we were talking operational staff, we would probably say understand hazards, identify hazards, and then <clears throat> make kind of risk-based decisions. Or essentially, doing a risk assessment, right? Um, and then social skills would be the other one. Um, so, can we inspire people? Can we communicate with people? Can we? Do we know the different styles and when to use them? And. Do we understand Mm. that a novel emergency system, a novel emergency situation is going to be very different from the start of a project or something like that? Very different styles of communicating and very different ways to inspire um, action. Um, so we talk about it in those three tasks, risk and social, I often think about how would I apply that to the safety profession, I think, within task, we kind of have three different tasks kind of in a way, maybe two, and we have like, legal compliance or, or or maybe not legal compliance but like demonstrating compliance so like insurance customer compliance accreditations um, yeah. and then and then obviously legal compliance as well so i would say compliance would probably i would put into all of those things then i would probably say we have like kind of technical compliance, like understanding those hazards that we're interacting with as a business to like the nth degree for the ones that work for you. Um, then I think we go over into that risk uh, comp- competence, which for me is, for us is risk based thinking is critical thinking it's things like that, We you're able to understand that safety is not the priority as yeah. a priority to your point. Um, you know, it's sometimes When we're in a situation if we got three lads and they're at the top of a telecoms tower and it's a windy day and all they've got is a harness and stuff you're like yeah do you know what safety is the first priority right now um but getting that antenna up making money is also our priority So, like, actually, maybe instead of just take the number in a way and just be like, they're all kind of priorities, which we tend to talk about that using Rasmussen's dynamic safety model. I think that's a really good way of communicating. I think what he did in that model is is really, really good. Nimbos used to use it, and I don't think they do anymore, but, like, it's the weird curve-like triangle. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, And it's got, like, lots of lines. and you know it if you see it, I bet. Um, but a lot of people yeah. don't kind of call it what it what it is. So, but yeah, it's um, his is really good. So he talks about you've got like performance uh, failure. So you you fail from a performance point of view, which he would put safety in there. And then you've got resource, which is enough staff, enough materials and stuff like that. Then you've got economic or financial, which is, you know, we don't go over budget. You know, we make a profit margin and so on and so on. So actually what he and then he puts like a we we use a simplified version of it just because the the academic one's a bit messy. Um, So when we're talking to small businesses, particularly, we just use those three lines and we say, look, The dot in the middle is the person. And what we're trying to do is not touch any of those lines. And sometimes we get really close to one line Mm -hmm. from far away from another, but it depends on the job. So I don't think safety professionals are very good at understanding that and and having the ability or the bravery, to your point, to be able to say, actually, we are going to have to take Mm -hmm. a bit of a risk. Because ultimately, it's a scary risk, right? Like, if we screw up, like, we have to kind of put the hand on the back of the safety professional as well like you said it's really lonely it's Mm. easy for us to sit here and say we're all shit but at the same time like it's lonely but it's also a lot of responsibility like you turn up at a business and that business goes uh, okay so are we safe james and you're like i'm here to try and help you but like you've just asked me if, if i'm gonna approve you as a safe business like that's a that's a really hard yeah. thing to do and it, you're taking on, I think you can feel like you're taking yeah. on the responsibility of all the lives and souls in that business, which is which is a really mm. hard thing to mentally take on, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's quite an over, you know, I've certainly had in my career periods of overwhelm because what you touched upon a moment ago um so again sort of using this as a more sort of practical example of something that i'm going through recently so this manufacturing contract i'm doing work with so i've come into this business and you know the the bar in terms of what i need to do there's you know i've got so much that's a priority um there's a lot of things that I consider to be fairly high risk that need to be dealt with imminently. Um, right. But there's so many things and it's trying to then establish what's a priority. And I was having a conversation with someone in the business the other day and they said, oh, like, have you been doing much with like the paperwork and things like that? And I said, no. I said, you know, I've done a little bit. I said, but to be honest, like my priority is getting out there and really getting to know the workforce and really getting to understand their priorities and their problems and identifying things that, you know, I need to sort of really sort of push to the front of you know the queue, essentially. Um, and then I remember going back and thinking, God, I feel a bit fucking overwhelmed actually, because from a legal perspective, if something happens, you know, then they, they go down that route of, you know, we want to see paperwork in place and we want to see this. And in my opinion, that's not the priority, but from an insurance perspective, and then you've got like a financial director in the company that's you know, mister numbers. And he's like, we need to be thinking about this and we need to have, you know, it becomes that whole, you know, we say it a lot and say to the arse covering side of things. And it's really hard to sort of find that, find that balance, find that sort of happy need, that sort of middle ground that sort of, because everything is a priority, everything Is quite daunting, Um, and I think that's a really underestimated skill in safety professionals. It's keeping your head, you're keeping your cool, you know, when Mm. you've got all these potential variables that could result in something going horribly wrong. And sometimes it's kind of like that. um, I don't know if you ever watched the show The Good Place, um, and I think they 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 do it really well. And I think it's probably quite common so there's a scene in there and there's a guy called chidi and he's um like a philosopher um he does like moral dilemmas and things like that anyway long story short there's a scene where he's talking to people about like what he does and they're in heaven and they like play out like it's one of those you can talk about something and then it happens because you're in heaven or the good place they call it and um it's that moral dilemma of like a train on a track and you've got one child on one side or you've got like a group of like 10 people and the train's heading towards the child and you've got the option to pull the lever and direct it towards the 10 adults or you leave it and you go and hit those hit that child and I've had that conversation you know that's kind of like a pub chat sort of thing and like what would you do and everyone's different and it's really interesting to see how everyone comes at things because I think the more pragmatists of my friends are like well I would keep keep it going towards the child because actually you know that's the way it's already going it's one one life versus 10 lives um and then you've got other people that are like no fuck that you know I'm gonna save the child and then someone goes well what if that child was Hitler or like it's all these things that come in and it's really interesting to see like people's like different outlooks and perspectives on what you would do in that situation and I feel like in safety we probably face that quite a bit as well I sometimes feel like I'm Mm controlling that train and it's like what direction do we go um and sort of looping it back you know to the safe drive a little bit it's sometimes good to get those sort of other opinions because you might think actually this is a priority and this is what i need to do but someone's going to come at it from a completely other sort of perspective or an actual lived experience and be able to you know give you that sort of second opinion third opinion um to help make decision when it can be quite overwhelming with the sort of things we face off against on a day-to-day basis in our day jobs
1: right mate so clearly something's happened because we both look completely different (laughs) and we're wearing completely different clothes um so i'll 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 call the the elephant in the room in that this is a this is halfway through the podcast this is a completely different recording so we weren't even i think we were like 80 percent through the podcast actually we've been talking for like an, over an yeah. hour i think and literally my computer yeah. just went just disappeared just everything just shut down so apologies for that mate green screen um <laughs> it's okay it literally was green screen yeah blue and green um i've no idea what happened screen i've done death. it before and the only thing I could do was turn it all completely off from the power, which if I couldn't do that whilst you were still on the call, so we just ended it. But oh well, we are where we are. We'll crack back Round on. Two. Um, but I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think what we what I was about to kind of try and move us on to anyway was just kind of it'd be interesting to understand just kind of like a condensed version of the of the journey really that you've been on kind of how you because obviously it's an online platform that you kind of you've got in the safe tribe and just kind of understand like what the process of kind of we've we've gone through Your why and all of that and what you were trying to kind of fix and what what was it like going from yeah i'm going to do this through to where it is now um like that would i bet that was quite an interesting journey
0: yeah, it's, um, as I think I touched upon when we spoke last time, but if we didn't, I'll, I'll God say it knows, again. I but can't remember anyway of <laughs> <laughs> Memory like a sieve. Um, I, I was very much, it was very much something I'd been thinking about for a while and I'd sort of been debating it and wasn't really sure how that would look. Um, and then it was it was funny because I'd been toying with the idea for a while um, and then work was getting a little bit quiet on the consultancy side um, just the time of year and things like that and um, I'd seen a post from someone on LinkedIn not someone I know someone I follow and they would said something about basically you know if you spend your entire life waiting for everything to be perfect you're never going to do anything so just fucking do it and I, honestly Gosh. when I tell you that was the kick up the backside I needed that to the point where that night I remember being up all night like How am I going to make this happen? So, the first sort of step was really finding an app, a software that really sort of aligned with what I wanted the community to look like and how I wanted it to function. So, I probably spent about a month. trialing out different softwares going to different sort of app developers things like that um you know this is a startup so costs were you know a big thing but I also wanted it to be a valuable app and you know something that wasn't just going to be you know a load of rubbish so we launched um on the 6th of September um I'd sort of Opened up the community just before that to a few people, um, just to come and trial it out. And we had like feedback sessions and things like that, and sort of it was agreed, you know, this this is working well, this is a good app, it ticks sort of every box that we need it to do. So we went live um on the 6th September. (laughs) Um And one of the things that I wanted this community to be was a real sort of member-led community. Um, And so that means, you know, talking to the members about what they want but also getting their feedback. And I sort of have encouraged them all sort of from day one to be really honest with me about things that they like but also the things that they don't like as well. Um, And just from my own user experience on the app as well that we were using, we had a few... um, it was just, it was the compatibility for Android phone users. So I'm an Android user, uh, yeah, totally. probably 23% of our members were as well. And the feedback was that it wasn't that good on an Android. And I was kind of feeling the same. Um, yeah. So about a month ago, I made the decision to just transition over. I thought, God, is this going to make it really inconsistent? You know, is this going to cause problems? But actually, I think it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise because, one of the things that I couldn't do with the old app was go on like different membership platforms and things like that. Uh, sorry, have little, different tiers mm-hmm. of membership, um, which is what oh, we've okay. got now. Um, so we launched on our new app two weeks ago um, and it's, it's just, it's a real breath of fresh air and it meets cool. the criteria and more for what we were looking for. There's a few more features and functions. There's a lot more that I can do with it. Um, even like the support from the back office with the app developers is tenfold better than what it was before Um, and then it's meant that what we've been able to do is actually lower um, our membership fees which seems a little bit counterintuitive but one of the things that I want the community to be is a big community I want it to grow I want it you know at the end of the day We learn from having lots of people. We learn from sharing knowledge with a greater audience. So what I've done is I have actually lowered the fee because I think I touched upon this last time we spoke, but one of the key audiences that I really wanted to make this community appealing to was sort of new people to health and safety. Um, And, you know, that comes at, you know, they're they're paying for courses. I'm sure a lot of them are studying for things like Nibosh. They probably have signed up for, you know, other membership platforms you know that are sort of recognized um widely in the industry so you know they've got a lot of financial outlay um and because we want to upskill because we want to really support and help people in the industry that are just getting started i wanted it to make it a little bit more accessible for them as well um and then we can also have more people come in by that logic as well so it's grown quite rapidly over the last two weeks since we launched that new membership platform uh, structure sorry on the new platform Mm -hmm. it's um i've sort of seen a bit of an explosion in people coming into the community so it's definitely heading in the right direction um so yeah it's it's been really good it's it's all part of the journey and you know I think that quote that I read a few months back when it said you know things that have to be perfect As someone that probably self-describes themselves as a little bit of a perfectionist it's been quite hard to you know come up against these challenges and things like that you know I had a couple of sleepless nights over the old app like you know it's not performing I felt bad because it was like you know it's going to disappoint people those sorts of things I felt you know annoyed at myself but it's fine and I think as soon as you tell people you know look I think I want to move over to this new app and sort of we had to transfer our existing members over to our new platform um I was really nervous about telling them but you know it's I think a lot of it's all in your head isn't it a lot of the time So yeah, it's, um, it's been a, it's been a fun three, four months since we sort of started really, or since I started like, since I went live with the community. Um, and yeah, I just, it's, it's been a fun ride so far. Um, we've got some great people that are, are part of the community as well.
1: Awesome. That's so cool. I've got two more questions. I I want to go through, and then we'll we'll nip it in the bud. One, uh, question number one is um, what what? This is a really cheesy question. Um, <laughs> but what does kind of success look like with it? Like, what's the end goal?
0: So this is something that I've thought quite long and hard about, and. I think ultimately the big goal the you know reach for the stars goal is to really make an impact in our profession and I think a lot of health and safety people say the same things and you know there's what I'm finding since launching this community is I'm meeting you know like yourself a lot of like-minded people like you there's a quite a few other people in this in this space as well that sort of share that vision so it's unlocked that sort of group of like-minded people who I think we're all together working towards the same goal and it's nice that you know we're all supporting each other and you know championing one another um but as you know and you know we've we spoke about this before and I think we spoke about this last time you know the health and safety industry has a really bad reputation and I want to be able to go onto a building site as a as a consultant for an independent contractor working on a site with 30 40 other contractors as well but feel that my impact has spread amongst all of their health and safety practitioners as you know the principal contractors health and safety team because at the moment I feel that like the changes and the impact that I try and make internally in companies is effective but it gets lost in the in the sort of grander scheme of things because we've still got very old very outdated you know things in our profession that until those those change then I don't I think it's very hard as a as a smaller consultant working for smaller companies it's very difficult to have the impact that you think you're going to have um I don't know if you you have that sort of experience as well Mm -hmm. but it's um It's a challenge. Um, So yeah, I think, you know, long term, the success for me is the first time I'll be able to go out into a building site or, you know, go out and see a client and, you know, really see a difference in how we approach safety as a profession. And long term, I, you know, would like to hope that i can play a part in that and it's not a one person job you know it's it's a community it's a community that we're building so it's a it's a collaborative effort and you know i'm sort of just facilitating that i think um so yeah long term that's that's what it would look that's what success looks like to me anyway
1: yeah. so <clears throat> if you were if you went to a construction site or a client site tomorrow. And there's one thing you didn't see, but the like, the profession just doesn't push that anymore, or it just does. It's not a thing anymore um, in the world of safety that made you go, yeah, I feel like I've had an impact. I feel like I've contributed to that. Maybe you're not, maybe, you know, it's not gone, oh, it was a safe child that made us get rid of this, but but you feel like you've had some kind of yeah. contributory uh, Played a part to in that, that thing. Yeah yeah like that thing disappearing like or or maybe something being added on whatever it is give me give me give me one tangible thing that's a really shitty question but one tangible thing (laughs) that you'd either like to get rid of or see more of or see added in that make you go yeah that that i'm happy now i could retire happy
0: yeah, so controversial one because um, it's something I feel quite strongly about and have sort of protested against for a couple of years now um, from when I worked in companies. But bullshit safety metrics—that um, right. would be the one thing I would love to see the back of um, because we have we've incentivized safety to the point where. It's all about the end game in terms of it's the score at the end of the audit everyone focuses on it's what success becomes sort of like the safest you know i I don't think i've ever gone to a building site and not seen a a leadership board with the percentage and the problem is is i've been on the you know the the other side of that and i've worked for clients before where we're getting phone calls the night before saying, "By the way, the client's sending someone down tomorrow to do an audit, and the whole team knows, and the site looks immaculate, and we get the green audit, and it, you know, it looks fantastic, and everyone gets a pat on the back, including me, and I'm a little bit like, I know there's bigger problems on this site, and no, but and because what it does is it then undermines the message that I'm trying to get across because everyone goes, well, we have got a green audit, we're obviously doing it right, and it's like,
1: mm, we're not, we're not. Makes it very hard for right. you we've to do your job.
0: completely and then I feel like it's such a catch 22 position as a safety professional because I've so I once with a company that I worked for um, and they were really good you know I did have a very supportive leadership team you know they were very supportive but the problem was it was out of their hands because the client that we worked for it's a big client there. So the allocation of projects that we got given was based purely on safety metrics. So we used to have to record an x number of near misses every single yep, day, yep. Um, which people would trick cheat the system. Like I remember because we have leadership boards and I remember seeing one contractor had been on site for like five days and they'd logged something stupid mm. like 16 year misses in five days. But they're like the best performing contractor. And it's like you you know they've fabricated a lot of that. You know they've got someone just they're probably paying full time to do that because they're coming out top every time. So they're getting a better allocation of stores. So I think me and the leadership team in the company that I worked for were in a difficult position because one time I basically turned around and was like, I'm not logging this shit. I'm not doing it. I'm really fed up of it. Um, and I turned my phone off and I, I went to Paris for the weekend because I was like, I'm really done with this crap um, because I feel like I'm having to spend more time sat in the office logging near misses all day long when I should be out on site dealing with the real problems and i remember i turned my work phone off and things like that and then i got a call from my boss on the sunday i think it was and she said to me she said you know we've had a phone call from the client and they're not happy because nothing's been logged this week and we're potentially going to get called up to head office this is going to potentially affect our quotation stores. like you need you need to sort this out right now so then i had to spend my entire journey on the train home from paris literally making, putting false data into a system just to get that green tick. And then it's like, cool, great. You've done a great job. Look at all this stuff you've, you've logged. And it, it's like, it comes a point where it's like, does no one see what the problem is with this? Can no one mm. see like how backwards this is because it becomes such a, in, in my opinion, it's actually quite dangerous because real mm. issues then, you know, don't get picked up upon. So yeah, I think, that's the main thing I would love to see the back of is incentivizing safety for the wrong reasons. And it's just, you know, it's not, it's not an easy fix. I get there's you know, I see a lot of debates on LinkedIn and people arguing back and forth and there's various schools of thoughts and things like that. But like my own experience of it has been a negative experience. And I do think yeah. that people like anything, you know, people cheat the system, people find ways around it. Um, It's it's all about sort of the stats at the end of it, and I don't think what we what we produce is accurate. And there's an integrity, I think, to our job role. I think you know, I I consider myself to be quite a integral, you know, an honest person. You know, I like to be really transparent and open, good or bad about things. Um, And there's just something about it just doesn't sit right with me, and it never has. Um, And it's been this sort of underlining factor in my entire career is that that's something that we've always had to focus on um and i feel like it's sort of affected me from being as effective at my job and you know sites being as safe as as they should be
1: nice nice Well that, that could be a whole podcast episode in itself. So I'm not gonna get down to <laughs> No, what it was. We've been here for another three hours until the computer crashes again. Uh. Um, okay, one well, last <laughs> question, which is I think will be a good a good way to tie this all up. Um you mentioned about kind of like the multiple packages and stuff. What what if you could give us like an insight so like what's it like? as a member like what does a member get what what is the community you know what's a month look like what's a week look like what's a a year or however it's kind of rotated or managed if that makes sense
0: yeah so um we've relaunched so we have two membership structures now so the first is our community membership um and that is basically you pay 2.99 a a one-off one-off fee and you get instant access to the community element of our app. So that is all the community forums because three pounds ninety
1: nine pence.
0: Yeah, that's it. But you get access straight into the app itself. Nothing else, not
1: a month, just a one off.
0: One off and it's you get access straight into the app but you don't get access to any other elements of the community. Um, but you can join the chat rooms, you can join the forums, you can just start sort of networking, meeting people, having conversations, because I think where I touched one of my, when I when we spoke last time, which is part of the same episode, is <laughs> the, wanting to create that safe space for people. And again, like, you know, there are, there are people out there that, particularly in the global audience as well, that, you know, don't feel as safe, on you know even certain groups you know certain social networking platforms that you know it's all out there in the open so i wanted to give them somewhere that they could just come you know they could meet other people they could start networking they can get a bit of a taste for the other side of the membership which is our premium membership um but they don't have to commit to you know coming in in as a premium member they can sort of test it out you know just enjoy the community elements of of the platform um without sort of any real obligation um And then we move on to the premium side of it, which is sort of where things really ramp up. Um, And again, we've lowered that down to 4.99 a month, um, just because the new app that we're running is more cost-effective. it's a quarter of the price to run than what I was paying for a previous app, so uh, much less overheads from that perspective. Um, and it's now given us that scope to really sort of increase you know, what we can bring to our members and we can now increase the volume. So with the premium membership, you get all the elements of the community app, so all the chat rooms and things in the app. But then what it does is it unlocks other elements inside that app so you get access to, so you'll get instant invitation to all of our events. So we run two events every month um, as a minimum, it's normally Probably going to start increasing that just with sort of little Brucey bonuses for people. But at the minute we have um, one course skills workshop a month and we also have one sort of safety leadership, safety discussion. And we talk about, you know, I did a whole talk with Clive Lloyd on the problem with safety metrics um, a a couple of months ago. Um, We talk about things that I was just alluding to just then. Um, you get access to all of our partnership benefits as well. So we've partnered with Leaderlike and the Healthy Work Company. We have a couple more partnerships in the pipeline as well and sponsorships and things like that Um, and basically with that what we're doing is we help our members so we give them access to things like discounted courses that are led and facilitated externally through these external partners so for example we had a workshop last week with leaderlike um, they ran one of their first life-saving storytelling workshops and 12 members of the community got invited in to come and do a workshop facilitated by Karen Hewitt. And um, if you've not read her work, read her book, People Power, it's fantastic. Um, and she facilitated a workshop. Um, the members absolutely loved it. Um, it's normally worth 150 pounds per person um, and our members got that for free. Um, we get discounted tickets to things like events. So conferences, That are Healthy Work Company, for example, it's run by Heather Beach. She runs conferences and events discounted tickets to um, things like that. She offers discounted and free spaces on some of her courses. She come, She's gonna be coming and doing some wellbeing webinars and workshops in the new year. We get discounted products, services, things like that. So really benefits, you know, and we only partner with businesses that we think are actually gonna truly benefit our members. Um, and then we also do a community call every month as well. Um, we're sort of still ironing out the structure of that it's become it's, it's quite nice though because you know we sort of try and find the sweet spot with the right time for people but people come along and we have a lovely chat you know we catch up on things give them advice things like that so it's it's quite an informal call um but I like it being that way um because it's, you know, we're building rapport, we're building friendships, we're building a network. Um, so I quite like how that's structured as well. So that's what you get as a premium member. Um, so I think it's a lot of value for a, a low cost. Um, and yeah, it's that's we've got more partnerships to hopefully announce in the new year. And yeah, it's... It's, it's a good time to join, it's a good community to be part of, you know, we've got a really lovely bunch of people that are in there so far, we've got really varied backgrounds as well, you know, we've got a mix of people that have been in the industry a long time, I've got a wealth of knowledge, um, and are going to join me in facilitating workshops and webinars as well, ones that I'm going to lead and things like that, which we all as well put in our Safety Bites library, so all the workshops and webinars that we do, do are live, um people can come and join but a lot of the time you know work commitments home commitments things like that can be difficult so we record everything and then on the app is our safety bites library so you can watch anything back at any time as well so we're also building content for people um to make it a bit of a resource library as well so yeah that's kind nice. of kind of it in a in a big nutshell
1: <laughs> yeah nice wow that's that's a that's a lot cheaper than what I thought it was. That's amazing, mate. I think, um, I think, yeah, why would you not? That sounds amazing. I know that <clears throat> when we used to do the the network, uh, or previously, was it was called before that was Project Mini, I and mean, it was more, it was more than that. And we, which I'd say a couple of things that you were trying to, you're touching on there about trying to find the sweet spot and stuff like that, we always um, found, that, found that a challenge. And I, I don't think people probably appreciate, um, how much work you probably do behind the scenes, Amy, to keep that place going and that that, that system yeah. running and finding the speakers and all the little things that I think people probably think is simple. I don't think they quite value how much time and effort you put into yeah. that for such a cheap price. So um, I think hats yeah. off to you, well done. and uh, And I genuinely do hope it succeeds.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, there is um, there is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, and no, you know, ways. I've I've had a couple of people sort of disagree with it being a charged platform. Um, but you know, I'm constantly networking with people. I'm constantly plant. You know, like my brain doesn't switch off. You know, I'm constantly mm. trying to find ways to make it better for people um, and accessible. And you know, I I want this to become something that is a is a business that you know does mm. really serve the community and in order to do that you know there has to be mm. sort of a bit of a financial incentive as well but fundamentally it's all about just trying to give back and really just trying to make it something that as i said said earlier really makes an impact and really makes a difference and um yeah, yeah i think yeah. i think 2024 is going to be an exciting year, Um, just sort of things that I've not really released yet, but some of the things we're working on, some of the partnerships we're working on, sort of, um, it's going to take it to, I think, another level, an exciting level, Um, so yeah come along and see what it's all about we are doing seven day free trials as well so if people aren't sure and you know want to see what it's all about you are invited to come and do a seven day free trial sort of try before you buy sort of thing as well so wow
1: wow that's amazing mate (laughs) but thank you i think that um if people are i think probably don't read into it too much would be my advice i think there's a bit of um I don't know, I feel again, this is probably a podcast in its own right, but I feel like safety has a bit of an issue with with people making profit and business and like, because I think Mm. we've, I think back to my education in safety, it's very much been like, the business pushes profit. But but I want them to slow down and and do things safely, and that's a cost. And I, I think we've been maybe taught to kind of demonise profitability of, of yeah. something, and instead of instead of actually yeah. going, hang on, if Safe Tribe or Rebranding Safety or Risk Fluent or any of the other you know amazing people that are doing amazing things out there, make profit. Think of how much more stuff they could do. Um, Like if if we make profit, it's time for me and money for me to go and find a new product and try and come up with something else for the for the profession. So, yeah, uh, I think probably don't read in too much to that. I think as well in a comparison, if you go outside of safety, sort of see with both business owners and stuff, and we try to like network and things. I'm part of like a networking slash mastermind community, which is very similar to what you're doing um mm. you know there's a lot of mental health support we're all going through the same problems and we discuss things so that helps our, our mental health there's also like general business improvement kind of stuff there's a couple of coaches that run it yeah uh and then there's networking right i pay a metric shit ton more money than four pounds uh 99 a month yeah um, so yeah you know i, I think i think probably. I think we experienced this when we did the network and Project Militium, I think maybe that world or that that perception of things hasn't quite made it into safety yet. So just a bit, uh, I think we were mega too early. Um, I think what you're doing sounds like a a nice in between, actually, I think the balance you've got between community calls and webinars, I think is cool. Um, So I think don't read into it too much. Um, I think what you're doing is really cool.
0: I think i've realized that because like you say there's definitely a stigma with sort of earning money earning a living and yeah as you said you know the more time i because like i neglected the community for a couple of weeks and um, because i was like i need to claw back a bit of money with consultancy work and things like that yeah. you know but yeah. making it a business that i can live from means that i get to put more energy and you know i've got so many yeah. big ideas big plans for this community and then you can give it 100 percent. rather than i mean i yeah. feel like i'm giving 100 percent at the minute but you know it's like working two full-time jobs at the moment and sometimes it yeah. has to be a balance it has to be you know, yeah. a little bit of a break so yeah it's um that you're yeah as you say it's probably another discussion on its own but it's um it's a it's a funny old industry isn't it where mm. we we sort of do make people and it's it's not like it's a badly paid profession as well no. um you know, we, we, we make good livings from it. You know, we do okay yes. from it, but yeah, there's definitely a, a weird, a weird stigma. And, um,
1: it's,
0: yeah. as you say, there's a lot of work and, you know, the things you do with rebranding safety, you know, this podcast, you know, the amount of people that are listening to this, but the volume of work that's gone in back of, back of house, you know, even just to get, you know, the software and get the speaks on and Which
1: doesn't work apparently. Out,
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine but it's, it's a lot of things isn't there that goes into yeah. behind
1: the scenes and yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think a people bit, realize a bit that you know yeah no, for sure no they
0: sure.
1: don't yeah i know i i, I yeah. think you we know, were good. just um i don't i don't know if yeah the results are out but i won't mention it in case in case i screw up but ultimately i was on a judging panel of, of an award that, that has recently been announced or is about to be announced um and that, oh
0: yeah that
1: is out I did see that yeah it is out right okay but just in yeah. case I, I won't mention the winner or anything um but essentially the judging panel kind of don't really do much sorry if that's a bit naughty but we we kind of <laughs> create create a short list of of the long list and then the the long list goes back out and then if the the people get votes in the shortlist. I think it was they essentially get more weight because the judges have backed those people. If that makes sense, so we we do yeah. contribute to it. if that makes so but anyway, my point yeah. was that there was a discussion in this panel where um, where and I care for how I navigate this. So essentially, there was a disagreement in the in the discussion in that um, if you're self-employed, you're you're less. You should be less considered for this award because you're doing it for profit and yourself, and you're and you're doing it for yourself because it's your business. Now, I am self-employed, and I have have previously been in the top five or whatever it was of that award. Um, so I vehemently disagreed with that, um, and I said, "Well, look, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It, it was good for me to and my business to win that that." to be in that top five or whatever it was, right? That's good for business. But you're telling me that it's not good for your career to also win this award. Like it's exactly the same. And this person was like, no, it's not the same, not the same, you're doing it for profit and, and your business. And I was like, you don't know what I'm doing it for, like, That there's nothing to do with you. Um, but interestingly, there was a recruiter also in this panel uh, of judges. And they also said, I'm a recruiter, And I'm telling you now, it's better for your career if you win this. So it's no different. It's no different. If you're employed or self-employed, it is no different. You deserve to win this award. And and I thought that was a very interesting insight into how our profession views business people.
0: Yeah, and especially as, like, it's based on the merits of what they've done and what they're Mm. giving back. And surely that's, you know as I think I think we we've touched upon it before and we've had this conversation before about like you know when as safety professionals you know when you're dealing with people in business you know you have to swallow the pill very quickly that safety isn't the priority in the business it's not and the sooner you realize that the better it is because you can Mm. then crack on and actually make a difference you know Mm. and as a business owner and I think i've come to realize this this last year how many plates you actually have to spin um yeah you know there's so many things it isn't just about doing my job it's about you know i've got to deal with my accountant i've got to deal with the marketing i've got to deal with you know sales i've got to deal with you know client relationships and building rapport with people i've got a network Mm -hmm. and you're doing so many things and it's hard and it's like Mm -hmm. and then we're kind of like so it's yeah i think it's really bizarre that there's like a sort of stigma of that because it's like mm. surely if someone's doing good then matter. the result of what what they're they've set out to achieve is good then what's what's the problem what, what's, but, yeah
1: exactly yeah exactly. I, 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 I yeah. think
0: you, you you touched on the root cause of that and yeah I think it goes back to how we're educated and how we're taught mm. about how you know businesses that earn a profit is you know they're the devil when it's like
1: yeah well, it's interesting profit, isn't it
0: then we don't have a job so mm.
1: yeah exactly yeah. yeah good point actually um well i feel like we've pretty much just recorded a whole another podcast um of us moaning about <laughs> profitability um oh. but um yeah. mate if people want to join um safe tribe how, how do they go about do that um what's the best way to to get started yeah so head over to um just put
0: in google the safe tribe Um, Uh, it'll take you straight to our website Um, you can have a look round we've got I'm adding content on there at the moment of some of our speakers so you can see people that we've had Um, and then there's a little link there Uh, you select your membership option and it will take you through to the app download the app you sign up and you're in and it's as simple as that Um, or you can come connect with me on LinkedIn You know, if you've got more questions um, just Amy C L Cox on LinkedIn. Um, I do respond to DMs, um, so if you have any more questions, not quite sure, feel free to drop me a message, and I'm happy to answer anything.
1: Amazing. We shall put um, link to the website and your LinkedIn in the description below for everybody. Uh, but thank you very much for your time, Amy. Thanks for coming on. Apologies for the tech issue I'm going to record this in two it's All right. Um, but yeah, <laughs> thank okay. you very much.
0: Thank you for having me, it was an absolute pleasure. podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James (laughs) McPherson.